Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where from the period of time of March 2021 through June 2022, I interviewed 182 founders, executives, entrepreneurs, artists, and authors from over 50 different countries and built a global audience in 165 countries while posting and producing my podcast at the Irish Tech News platform. Since then, I realized there's a lot of incredible content in the interviews that I had and my interviews with thought leadership podcast interviews that had amazing gems, amazing gems from um, all the guests that I was able to interview. And so I've chosen and decided to create the uh, Crypto Hipsters Chronicles series, which is a series of the gems, the, the little tiny pieces from each of the interviews that I had in the areas of Bitcoin, Ethereum, metaverses, NFTs, regulatory issues in crypto globally, art, and you name it across the wide spectrum of different verticals in blockchain and crypto industry and in fintech and mobility and sustainability as well. Uh, these are about 15 minutes long, each uh, chronicle, and has three, four, or five different segments from different interviews. So I hope you enjoy them. Uh, I hope you have uh, learned a lot. And if you'd like to um, listen to the full podcasts, they are available online at both the Irish Tech News um, and on Anchor. And uh, in a future date, will be available on the Crypto Hipsters station as well. So please enjoy and uh, talk to you soon. Welcome to Crypto Hipsters Chronicles, episode 29. Uplifting creators and collectors through cutting edge technology and innovation. Today's montage includes interviews from three people from Tree Trunk. The uh, first is the founder of the Baseline Protocol, John Wolpert. Second is artist Dilek Sazen. And third is Serena Charogundla. Enjoy. So Tree Trunk, what is that all about? Yeah, so Tree Trunk is what came out of this whole thinking around baseline and zero knowledge. And we and we kind of in a fever dream, we said, wait a minute, what are the silly things about NFTs that we don't think make a lot of sense to us? And I, I emphasize that. I mean, you know, we're not omniscient. Maybe we're missing something. But uh, we said, well, obviously right-click is kind of weird. And... Um, the idea that a digital sales receipt, and I really wish that we would say this to people so that at least we were honest with them about what they were buying. You know, you get, when I, whenever I hear this phrase, we can turn your art into an NFT, I, I just want to lose my mind. It's not true. It, 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 it very much misleads people that are not technically savvy or, or just aren't yet technically savvy. I mean, you know, anybody can be technically savvy if they're interested. You know, you can be an art major and still understand what a technical system does if you care to. Um, but when you're new to it, 
and you hear, oh, you can, t I can take your art and make it immutable and make it so that you know people can't copy it. None of that's actually true, as we you know, anybody knows. Um, and it's a better way to put NFTs. The current state of NFT is that it's um, um, that it's the um, the uh, th that is it's a sale a digital sales receipt that points to something that you want to say something about, right? You say you know that you own or that you paid for this other thing that's living on a server or IPFS or something, right? So uh, that's not anything like, in fact, it's the opposite. Instead of uh, preventing the copying of your art, it's copying that art all over the place. That's what IPFS does. It's spraying it all over hell and gone, right? So copying a set of ones and zeros is a pretty easy thing to do. I mean, it's, it's it, in the digital world, it's like walking into a museum and with your eyeballs, being able to look at a Rembrandt or, or, or Picasso or something and then being able to magically down to the atoms or the even the quanta make a perfect atomic replica of it as, as many as you like and then move them anywhere you want instantaneously if, you, if that's the world we live in in digital if you have access to a file you can perfectly copy the file which means you can make perfect facsimiles which means you can do do things that the, the that the artist or the owner doesn't want you necessarily to do in the physical world, I can walk into a museum, I can take a picture of the Mona Lisa, but nobody thinks that I own the Mona Lisa. Nobody thinks that um, that, the, that 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 picture is the actual atoms of the Mona Lisa that somebody well, somebody might uh, con control or possess. And collectors like the idea of being stewards of things that they can control and possess that are unique and exclusive to them. But they also want to be able to share that with others. And again, how do you do that? It's a conundrum. And ones and zeros, if I share it, you can copy it. I can't be sure you didn't copy it. But I want to, so how do you do that? Well, the, a neat trick is to use zero-knowledge uh, cryptography in such a way and, and change the way we think about NFTs from uh, using them as sort of a weird, and I, I'm, I have so many problems with this idea of, you know, the, treating art as stock certificate um, or, you know, speculative asset. And ugh, it's just, you know, really heavy. And artists don't like it. Most of them that I talk to are like, this is a really heavy, they use the word heavy. It's like it, it, it messes with their art process. They're like, I don't want to think of my art as a stock certificate. You know, I want to make money. I want to pay the rent, but I don't want, this is just weird for me. And so I don't, I don't sorry, I just don't love that idea. But, and, and this is sort of something we do in our lab, but the but, right? But I don't like that, but I would if, right? So, but that's a problem with NFTs. But what if I could treat an NFT more like a, a like a lithography process, like uh, you know, like signed numbered prints? And what if my original art file was more like the plates in that lithography process, right? So I'm going to take the plates, I'm going to drop them into a, through into a, a bunch of fancy math that we use to to generate what's called a zero knowledge circuit. I'm going to flip a bunch of the ones and zeros um, in a certain way, and then I'm going to drop that into um, an unlockable box or an un a, a box that cannot be unlocked. And uh, before I do that, I'm going to generate a bunch of prints. The prints I can share with you, and they can prove, because of what you know, the way we changed around the ones and zeros in that file, they can prove that they are a child of the original. The original is not accessible, not to anyone else, and not even to the owner really, because then if they when they sell it to you, that you would you would be able you wouldn't be sure if they hadn't pocketed a copy. So it's kind of like uh, in that Dan Brown um, uh, novel, 
you know, here I have a cryptic, and in the cryptic is uh, you know this this um, message. Um, in that in that box, uh, so this is like a magic cryptic where I can hold a mirror up to it and say, I can t I can prove to you that what you see in the mirror is what's in this box, but nobody can access what's in the box. But we used it to create these lithography prints. So here I'm going to buy, you know, five of ten. And then we said, well, you know, uh, zero knowledge, you can do this recursively. So what if I can I can buy print number five, and print ten more prints under me, doing the same thing again. Now I have a unique, what we call a root file, which is under zero knowledge. And I can prove that I am the, ch the parent of these 10 new children. And each of them can do it and so on and so on. And if that looks like multi-level marketing, it absolutely is, but in a not creepy way, right? You know, usually when we think of multi-level marketing, we think of some creepy dude that's trying to convince you to join something and pay him 700 bucks so that they'll, and then you'll go get three more dupes to do the same and so on. Not that. This is putting an artist and a piece of art at the single piece of art at the top of a tree of royalty flows. And given the fact that artists need all the help they can get making money, I love that idea. Right? It's such a powerful business model that bad guys use it a lot. But if we can use it to, to, to liberate and empower artists to be able to pay the bills, and use their communities of support, their followers, their influencers that love their art. And the influencer can say, wait a minute, I can get a royalty on the prints that I sell below me. And, and the artist will get a royalty on top of mine. I love that idea, right? And it turns out we launched this last week just on the Polygon testnet doing exactly that. We, we did a, we've uh, introduced a new ERC 720, uh, based on the ERC 721. Uh, we, we are about to, um, uh, file the ERC, it'll be a new number. And that new number is the first on-chain royalty distribution NFT contract um, standard. So if anybody says that they're doing royalties, to show you the code, because they're probably doing it off-chain in a Web2 type process, which uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if they go out of business, you're not getting your royalties. There are a couple of uh, you know uh, platforms that are doing this. And they have made some off-chain arrangement so that, it, you know, you can get your royalties wherever they, whether you sell it on their platform or the other guy's platform. But again, that's all traditional business. Um, this is the first smart contract that does that all on-chain, irrevocably, instantly, and securely. So when you have a right to a royalty, the minute somebody buys that great-great-great-great-grandchild print, you know, the 1.1.2.5 print, you're getting your royalty like that instantaneously and irrevocably on chain, nobody, nobody's in the way. So that's cool too. Explaining the left brain and the right brain and how to toggle between the two. I didn't have a practical application in order to do that, but now, and I've done it on all my podcasts, my guests just don't know it, um, and they experience it and they're like, oh, that was cool how to toggle from how to go from the left brain to the right brain. It's a process. <laughs> so, um, so we're going to go to your left brain right now. And uh, you're talking a lot of creativity and you have been highly decorated um, with many recent awards, right? And they not only include your portraits and put your sculptures, but you know, they, they uh, go across demographics and nations, right? What makes your, 
uh, you sought out as a as a leader in your industry, and why do why are you so decorated as you are? Um, that's I think that's the toughest question ever someone asked me. So <laughs> I know. Um, uh, I think the reason I never thought that question before. I'm just thinking out loud here. Um, I think the reason is I'm always, I think progress attracts me and I never stop working. That's, that's the thing. Like I really do not stop working. It doesn't matter what it is. And to me, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm a curious person in a way that trying to understand what's possible, like possibility is just, just. It's, it's not about the project I'm doing. It's not about the project I'm um, creating for. That's also another thing. I have the separation. I don't get impressed by the brands or by the people, except few artists like Ai Weiwei, for example, you know, like few important people. But like generally speaking in business, it's I, I have this capability of completely isolating myself and looking what's in front of me as a as a uh, as a problem in a way you know what i can create what what is the background story of that piece why i'm doing this what's the project outcome what's the project's outcome you know aesthetically for me is it is it good enough i'm is am i okay with it and also let's say i'm creating it for um Going back to tree trunk, for example, my piece on tree trunk is a unique piece, and I created this for the tree trunk. That was my complete um, intention. So how I did it is I go I go search a lot. That's number one. Like it doesn't matter for me if I'm creating one accessory for a person or hundred uh, piece project for a brand. I need to do my research, meaning that. I need to understand um, what's what's the need of the project. Even if it's an art piece, there is a need. Like if it's an art piece, I'm trying to state something. Or if it's a if it's a company, they are they need something. They need a product to fill some purpose. You know. Um, so what's the need? And I search for it. And I search visually as well as in in context and try to understand um and bring these two together i think that i have this thing like i feel everything needs to be connected somehow and i try to find the connections and once i find it then then i sit down and start drawing i think the reason that people recognize me globally or i have awards and all of these things the other thing I have to tell, I'm never shy of um, entering any competition or any list or if anyone asked me, you know, would you like to get involved with this project? No matter what it is, and maybe I never done such a thing before, I'm usually curious. I'm like, oh, okay, let's try, you know, let's give a try. So probably that also have a part of on my awards because I have different like I have fashion award I have a sustainability awards and I have artistic awards it's completely different than each other but I'm never shy and and in 
and I always look for the connections and I think they are connected in, in a sense. Like I, I don't like to put myself and I think many artists are that way, but somehow uh, I think uh, when the art world become more like art markets, that art expectation from artists like you have to have your style they treat artists as more like a product you have to have a certain style it needs to be recognizable this and that and i i little bit reject that in my mind so that's why i do different things and i can prove that different things can be successful too you know like <laughs> you need to try <laughs> you said the word uplifting Right. How do you uplift communities in the NFTs and R and also in STEM? So this is actually one of my favorite parts of using the EIP 4910. And I, <laughs> sorry, I keep saying EIP 4910, but I am truly excited about it. Uh, and, you know, using that to uplift the artists and their communities. If, if you look at the market today, um, secondary sales provide a single step royalty to the artists which is done through a smart contract. Um, but imagine if a collector could earn the royalties as well and support the artists through sales. They, they basically become a stakeholder um, and are incentivized to uplift the artists that they love. And it kind of touches on the collector's dilemma where um, an artist will mint, mint a work, or actually let's take IRL. Um, an artist has a painting. They then sell the painting to a collector. And if the collector sells that painting for 30 times that price, the artist is cut out. So in the NFT space, specifically with royalties on chain, what we could do here is an artist will mint a work, a collector will purchase that work, and collectors can purchase multiple works without having to purchase some trying to figure out which ones to sell, which ones to hold because they believe in the artist as opposed to trying to figure out the mechanics of the sale, they can just support the artist, advocate for the artist, be a part of the ecosystem, earn sales and royalties along the way. Um, but through this use of creating prints, everyone's a part of the ecosystem. And when you get down to the bottom tier where there is no royalty um, that's provided because it's the bottom, um, you then have a bunch of affordable art and people who have been cut out of the space since the beginning will be able to purchase something just because they love it and want to enjoy it. And that has not been the case in the space thus far. So I think, you know, that's something that the artists on the platform are really excited about. Um, and based on the, the tree structure that you make, you can of course change it if, you know, somebody big purchases a work and wants to add something to it, you know, it could change the price, but ultimately the, the affordability, the accessibility, and creating that ecosystem is really what we are trying to focus on. And that is how we want to uplift the communities in NFT art and STEM. Um, it is kind of all encompassing and we just, we want to support the artists as best as we can. I'm trying to think of your collector's dilemma because I'm a collector. I've collected baseball cards all my life. I've collected movie posters all my life. And now I'm collecting collectibles um, of some of the artists, right? Um, but if I sell them, it's not a dilemma. It's not a dilemma for me, right? Um, so, but should it be a dilemma? What should I keep the artist in mind if I'm selling them? What's my actual dilemma as a collector? 
So the dilemma I'm referring to is say you love one of those baseball cards so much that you don't want to give it away. You don't want to sell it, but you want to make money off of it. You have to make a choice between one or the other. And so rather than purchasing two of the same collectible in tree drive, you could create a print, sell those prints and earn royalties and sales on those prints. So you still would own that baseball card that you love so much without having to give it to anyone.